If you're interested in the topics that you're hearing about on The Vibe, please check out our website. It's thevibeweekly.com. There you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can check out all the blogs with all of the recommendations that Dustin makes, links to purchase things, full videos, links to articles. It's a great resource to go even a little bit deeper on some of the topics that we talk about on the podcast. to episode number three of our Vibe podcast. Um, Excited, having fun with this every couple weeks, diving into some of the topics that I've been writing about in the weekly newsletter. Um, Are you enjoying it as much as as much (laughs) as I am? Hate every second of it. It's really hard uh, with my co-host here, and we have nothing to talk (laughs) about. Spend twenty four hours a day together, pretty much uh, every single day. Somehow, still feel about forty five minutes here. Yeah. Well, this week, um, one of the things that I wanted to jump into is a topic that I wrote about uh, last week, Mm -hmm. which was young people volunteering. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that this came to mind as I was working on it over the last couple of weeks was, uh, uh, as you know, I am the current president of the Bridgeville Lions Club. Mm -hmm. Um, And prior to the last couple of years, I was the youngest member, I think, by 30 or 40 years. Um, So you've recruited your friends. Yes, I've I've twisted the arms of my friends and gotten them in the club as well. Um, But it's it's a constant topic of discussion at our meetings um, with the the older generations, my my parents' age and, and, and grandparents' age, that young people don't want to volunteer as much anymore mm-hmm. and participate in civic organizations as much as they used to. And so that led me to do a little research and digging into that a little bit to see if that was true or not. So obviously you've, you've read the vibe at this point, but what were your initial thoughts to that question? I thought it was really interesting because you do have these kind of competing feelings about young people where they seem in some ways to care a lot more about certain issues like sustainability issues that are more global in nature. Um, But I agree that in these local civic organizations, you kind of see fewer and fewer young people that are drawn to it. And I thought it was a good point that you brought up is just that people want to engage in civic action a little bit differently now. And I think with the proliferation of technology and the Internet and social media, we have eyes on the entire world, not just our own community. And so you know, for better or worse, I think that gives people more of a sense of responsibility to help at a global scale and not just a local scale. And so it is interesting to see that the popularity of joining like local civic organizations seems to be waning while people care more and more about what companies they purchase from and how, you know, sustainably their business practices are run and things like that. So I thought it was a good point and and it's a little more nuanced, just like everything than just people don't volunteer anymore. Yeah, it was really interesting, and and what I was hoping that I would find was that civic organizations were just as robust with um, young people, and um, as you mentioned, that's just that's un- unfortunately simply not the case. But mm-hmm. I don't know that it's like you said a, a, a complete um, downside to the conversation because mm-hmm. people are engaging in other activities, and and some civic organizations and other local nonprofits and things are doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see uh, in in Delaware and parts of Maryland, uh, a lot of the fire companies are volunteer organizations. Um, And I know a tremendous amount of young people are 
uh, investing their time into those uh, different organizations. But uh, the Lions Club, the Kiwanis Club, the Rotarians, and, and all of those clubs that we remember our grandparents and, and parents mm-hmm. going to for uh, years and years and years uh, just don't seem to be thriving quite like they used to. Right. Um, and I think that kind of mirrors the gig economy that we're living in right now. People used to get a job and stay in that job for mm-hmm. 30 years and get a pension and benefits and and, and retire and then die. <laughs> That's a great positive way to look at it. <laughs> but it just seems like today, obviously, uh, in this country and, and really throughout the world, we're seeing people kind of shift what they're doing um, quite often. And I think the average expectancy for, for most jobs now is somewhere between four and six years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that creep down just, just in the time that I've been in the workforce. And many people today are just essentially freelancers and, and they're not committing to any one particular organization, but just kind of jumping around where, where the work is. That's a really interesting point. People are more committed to a project or to a specific cause that they're maybe sending funds to on a short-term basis instead of a long-term. Another thing that just popped in my head is I wonder if part of this is that the way people socialize is different now. I think when we hear stories about, you know, when the Bridgeville Lions Club was in its heyday, that was kind of like the social structure where all these friends got together. And something else that's kind of interesting is it was very gender divided too. It's like all the guys got together and like had this social civic club that they were a part of. And so they did good, but it was also a place for them to socialize and network and get to know one another. Whereas now it seems like people like to socialize in a little bit more flexible of a way and kind of, you know, maybe include their spouses more or, you know, not be so structured in their social lives as well. Yeah. Does that mean you're going to join the Alliance Club with me? Now that it's uh, open to women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's, you know, these civic organizations still today do tremendous work they in the do. local communities. Um, I've seen it firsthand. You know, we had a a pretty terrible um, tornado here. Um, I guess it's probably been close to a year yeah. at this point. Um, and all of the local civic organizations immediately jumped in to support mm-hmm. and help and fundraise and give. And um, it's really important, I think, to have those those things in place mm-hmm. um, and, and local churches and things as well, because sometimes it takes government assistance a little too long uh, mm-hmm. when, when the needs are immediate, uh, immediate or, or sometimes they, they don't fill all of the gaps necessary. And so it's important for the community to jump in and support. Yeah, and that's an interesting point. As people's perspectives change, there might be a gap left and the boots on the ground local level that mm-hmm. somebody will have to step up and fill. Yeah. So I, I enjoy being, uh, I think I still am the youngest member of say, the Lions Club. Um, but there's there's a lot of others that are close in age, at least at this <laughs> point. So I'm not I'm not quite so lonely well, anymore. Well, it's not your first term as president, is it? This is my second go around. I okay. just got my 10-year uh, badge uh, not that long ago. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. And hopefully the uh, the Lions Club can, can thrive for many years to come and, and we can find ways to innovate and adapt and right. incorporate some technology and different ways of looking at things so we can attract younger members uh, right. as well. Yeah. Cool. So shifting on, uh, I wanted to jump into some of my weekly vibes from a couple weeks ago and one that I know you have been using now for, I don't know, a year, 18 months, something like that, is Mm -hmm. the one-line journal that I recommended. And tell me a little bit about uh, that and how it's going and and your thoughts around that kind of simple, easy morning routine project. Yeah. No, it's been really fun. So the nice thing about the one-line journal is literally it is just one line. And each page is just set up so that 
it's the date, the calendar date of the month. So maybe it's January 1st, and then you write what year it is as you go down the page. So there's five sections for January 1st. And so I started last year, so I have January 1st of 2023. And then this year I've been writing in January 1st of 2024 and on. Um, but the really cool thing about it is I've, I've read before that people that journal over long periods of time like to go back and look at previous journals. But this kind of makes that foolproof because it sets, sets you up to look back when I'm at the end of it five years and see what you were thinking and doing on that exact same day five years ago. It's kind of like Facebook memories, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been really fun because for us, about a year ago, we were preparing to open our Milford location. And it's hard to believe that that's a year ago and how much has happened in between. And so it's been really fun to be able to look back at that and even over the span of one year, how much has changed. And so I'm really looking forward to when it's five years from now and thinking about, you know, our kids are going to be a lot older now at that point than they were when we started. And a lot of things will have changed. Um, what are you looking forward to with starting this? Well, I'm, I'm first, I'm curious what you actually put in there every day, because mm. that's been something that I've been kind of wrestling with each day. It's, it's obviously mm. it's only one line. And so you can't recount every single activity of yeah. the day. But what, what are you using yours for? I usually use it for the most memorable moment of the day. Um, at first, I was trying to <clears throat> do a full summary of everything that happened that day. And it's really hard to do that. And I think it says one line, I think it's three lines in a little book. Um, but it's hard to cram all that in. So I think last year I put one day that, oh, we had breakfast at River Lights Cafe and then popped over and got all the decorations ready for the Milford office. You know, so little things like that have been the most fun to look back on. I'm not using it as much for a traditional journaling of what are you thinking about and what are you feeling and all of that. It's just not optimized for that, but just little memories, kind of like, I remember reading one place where a guy did a one minute vlog every day, just a little snapshot of each day. So that's how I've been thinking about it. What have you been putting in so far? Yeah, pretty similar. I think, um, you know, I'm only a few days in at this point, And so I'm still kind of finding my way in it. But I'm, I'm trying to do basically like a one sentence summary of the day. Mm -hmm. um, here, here, here were the successes and, and interesting things that happened that day. Um, I try to do something professional and personal mm -hmm. um, so that I can go back to that uh, each year and, and revisit that moment. But uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see. I don't. I certainly don't want to rush time, but five years, what that looks like, and right. and kind of go back and see if there's any trends, you know, in times of the year of, mm -hmm. of the things that we're doing or thinking or feeling, and mm -hmm. and uh, see what we can do with that data because you know I love data and finding ways to manipulate it. Yeah, here is a little pro tip put what day of the week it was as like a little letter code because sometimes it's confusing you know you can't really quite tell whether it was a work day or a weekend day so it's just kind of fun to see that oh it was a Monday that we did this that or is, that is so a I great just put tip. an M or an S at the front yes um so moving on to the next uh Weekly Vibe is one that uh, I love and use every single day now is my uh, call center headset. Yes. Um, as you know, I spend a tremendous amount of time on the phone. That is a big part of my job is mm -hmm. talking to people. And so uh, as I'm on the phone, I like to be in front of my computer. I like to be taking notes. I like to be researching uh, and finding important information related to that specific phone call. And so it's really difficult to do that um, while also holding a phone. Mm -hmm. um, and then previously, I'd been using uh, AirPods. And, and I mentioned in, in the newsletter that the, uh, the AirPods sound amazing. 
uh, and they are amazing, but at least for me and a couple other folks that I've talked to that use them, it seems like they have a very short lifespan yeah. uh, where they get really fuzzy. People can't really hear me that well. Mm -hmm. I'm getting some feedback in them, which is really frustrating because they're not cheap. Um, and Apple's products, uh, you know, I'm like an, an Apple disciple. I love all of their products, but this is the one I feel like they've, they've failed the most, at least in my mm -hmm. experience. So having this nice $70 or so headset uh, with a mic kind of right in front of you to, to make sure the voice is clear has been a game changer for me. Um, I know you are not nearly on the phone as much as, as <laughs> I am. not even close, yeah. Um, but you do like having <laughs> headphones on while you're working. Um, what's, the, hmm. what's the reason for that? Um, well, first, I completely agree with you. I know you called me as a test case at one point when you were using, I don't even think it was the AirPods, I think it was a different set of headphones that seemed to be working on your end, and it sounded like you were in a wind tunnel on my end. Yeah. And so that is so important just to start a phone call off on the right foot when you're trying to meet somebody. Um, so it makes total sense. I use headphones to kind of block out the rest of the world so that I can dive deep when on I'm, a project. When I'm on the phone. Usually to not be listening yeah. to your conversations. Um, but for me, for some reason, and actually Ashley in the company was telling me that she's the same way. When music, like my own music is playing, especially if it's in my head, like my earphones, um, that helps me concentrate more. When it's ambient noise, I don't know why, and there's probably some sort of a psychological reason, it actually distracts me from the task I'm doing. So personally, if I want to really dive deep on a project, maybe a big marketing asset that I'm working on or something I really like to have headphones in and just kind of zone in on my computer yeah so. I um I try to have a soundtrack for my life as you know and yeah. so every part of my day there is music playing in some fashion or another um, the first thing I do when I get to the office is turn on music in my mm -hmm. office uh, and then the first thing I do when I get home uh, and start preparing dinner is turn on music yes. uh, for that vibe and so I have endless, endless playlists of music that I like to play. And so for me, I think having that in the background, um, it doesn't need to be quite as closed off, I think, as, as some mm -hmm. people do with the headphones on and things. Um, I, it just is calming and soothing. And, and depending on what mood I'm in, it might be motivating. It could be gangster rap from the 90s. Or, or it could less be, kid appropriate based on your mood. <laughs> yes. It could be Beethoven. It could be anything in between. Um, and, and lately, uh, and, I, and I mentioned it in the most recent vibe, I think I have been obsessed with jazz covers mm -hmm. of famous songs. And it is just incredible to me to hear... Baby Got Back jazz version <laughs> or Zombie as a jazz version mm -hmm. that's very soothing and soft and interesting. Yeah. Um, I think you enjoy those too, right? I do. And I will confess that sometimes I'm putting on my headphones because I just don't necessarily align with your musical taste of the day because sure. it is so wide ranging. But yeah, I do like the the jazz covers and it's fun for dinner too. It's a nice, yeah. a nice vibe. But one of the like categories that you really like that sometimes it just stresses me out is the soundtrack music mm. because sometimes something comes on and I think your brain is so programmed to think a big action is about to happen. Like you're watching a movie. It just makes me feel on, on edge. Yes. So. I love film scores because they, yeah. they heighten my mood as yeah. well as, as, as the music um, also does the same. And, and one of my favorites is the interstellar score. Yes. Um, it's amazing. And I think what's cool about uh, film scores for me is like I'll watch a movie and then I can kind of relive that movie the whole next day mm -hmm. through the soundtrack and kind of it, it kind of prompts me to think about the events of the movie and different things and you feel the same emotions as if you're watching the movie and so it's just kind of a way to extend really good movies or TV shows or things in a way that's uh, not on a screen. That's a good tip. Yeah. Kind of extends the emotional experience of a movie. I yeah. Like that. So uh, 
Both you and I love the Founders Podcast, mm-hmm. and we have been diving deep into that, and I think a lot of people in the office now have, have gotten into it as well. And uh, for those of you who don't know, the Founders Podcast, basically, um, it's it's a deep dive into biographies mm-hmm. of individuals, mostly business people, founders, uh, but some others in media and music and different things as well. And it just really gives you a lot of deep insight on their lives, um, mm-hmm. the important things that happened, the failures that they've had, the, the successes that they've had. Mm-hmm. And it's great for people who, like me, I, I love reading, and I know you love reading too, but I can't read every single book as fast as I want or to read while them. while you're driving. Yes. <laughs> And so we're really enjoying that. But but one recently that I um, enjoyed quite a bit was the one on Oprah. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, to be honest with you, know her whole story. Uh, I kind of knew that she she grew up rough and, and started in news and, and then, you know, eventually got to be the Oprah that we, we all know today. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand how, how difficult her childhood was and some of the things that went on in her life and, and just makes it that much more impressive. Um, was that was some of those things kind of enlightening for you as well? Yeah, and I, I think I don't think that we even finished the podcast together, so I need to listen to the end of it. But mm-hmm. um, but I completely agree, and it kind of reminds me of how you always talk about how human beings need some adversity to develop a sense of resilience. And I mean, she's a shining example of that. And what always blows me away about her, and similar to like a Howard Stern, although I know he's controversial, but. People like that are so intuitive about other people and just understand human psychology so well. And I think that's why they're such good interviewers is Mm -hmm. they are just so empathetic and really can put themselves in someone else's shoes really well. And it sounds like that's kind of what she discussed with her interview style. If you want to recap that, I thought it was really interesting that she has a very specific strategy and how she goes about when she sits down with someone. Yeah, it's interesting because, and, and you mentioned Howard Stern, you know, I love Howard Stern yes. regardless of, of the controversial nature. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think they both are actually quite similar in terms mm-hmm. of their skill set. Um, and I think uh, she describes it in, in the book and, and Howard talked about this several times as well it's I think the most important thing about interviewing people is, is first getting them to trust you mm-hmm. um, because no one's going to open up no one's going to reveal personal things in their life they're not going to be vulnerable with you if they don't completely trust you especially and, celebrities or these high-powered people yes yes and as you've seen many times on on her couch when she had the the regular show and 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 I've listened to several times even on on Howard's uh, couch mm-hmm. uh, these people get emotional um, they're talking about things that they've never talked about publicly before mm-hmm. um, and it's amazing because I listened to an interview with a celebrity that I've I've heard speak dozens of times I've seen them on different shows and podcasts and everything else and and all of a sudden now they're revealing things that they never have before Mm -hmm. I think it it feels like to to that person the person being interviewed that they're just alone in a room with this person who is a longtime friend that they can be vulnerable with and trust and I think that is a super unique talent Mm -hmm. uh, that that people have and I would I would argue that those two individuals are the best at that maybe of all time it really is and I and I think part of what's a benefit to the rest of the world that we have people like that is you get to really understand these people that can become caricatures on TV and realize that they're just human beings like the rest of us. You know, even I think um, 
Howard Stern has had, you know, like the Donald Trumps of the world and the Hillary Clintons and people that whatever side of the aisle you're on, a lot of times if it's the opposite side as you, you just kind of look at them as the enemy mm -hmm. and they have a really great ability to get down to the human nature of whoever it is, whatever background they're coming from, whatever side of the political aisle they're on. For celebrities, if you have a preconceived notion about them, just finding out the behind it all, we're all just real humans. And I think I agree with you. It's such a gift to the world that there are people that can interview others like this and get to know humans like this. Yeah, I love listening to comedians being interviewed because, <laughs> you know, they're always uh, kind of putting on shtick and, mm -hmm. and he's able to kind of navigate through that a little bit. Um, but some of my favorites on, on Stern were um, the Paul McCartney interview was great because mm -hmm. I think he explored some things that he hadn't uh, seen, we haven't seen before as, mm -hmm. as, as the public. Um, he did a really great one with Conan O'Brien, and I think um, <clears throat> I didn't know nearly as much about Conan O'Brien until that interview. I think Howard actually says that that is his favorite interview of all yeah. time, um, surprisingly. And so there's just so much there that you can really deep dive into, and it's fascinating to see the kind of personal stories and the emotions of people that have risen to such fame and such success right. because it's unique. It is every single one is unique. It's different. It's it's not the same as as us. And and there's a reason that they've all risen to the level mm -hmm. that they have because of some of the things and the challenges and successes that they've had in their lives. Yeah, you're right. I think the one that gave me or convinced me to give Howard Stern a chance and not just assume that he was all like strippers and fart contests, <laughs> which are was, uh, which are sometimes <laughs> on there, um, was his interview with Sia, which is she's yeah. like a singer and a songwriter that I didn't know anything about and he just got so deep with her and made her super interesting to me made me want to learn more about her uh, but he is he's fascinating yeah, and, and she was an example of someone who um lives a very private life mm -hmm. despite her you know her fame you know there was a period of time that no one had actually seen her face because right. she would cover it with a wig and things too and so he kind of allowed her to be vulnerable and, and and i agree that was a really great interview yeah um, so jumping ahead a little bit, um, <clears throat> I started, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. So as you, as we've talked about before, and, and you know, I am obsessed with comedy. Um, we, we just recently started watching a new special, but um, I have a interesting listing of the week that I include in the vibe. Mm -hmm. And these are usually five, 10, $20 million homes um, that are really fascinating or interesting. Some of them are gaudy and look like they are from Home Alone in the 90s. Uh, <laughs> and some of them are modern and super interesting and, and cool. But um, anybody can go on Zillow or, or whatever your preferred um, real estate browsing choice is and mm -hmm. see these listings and see the descriptions. And so I didn't want to just repeat what everyone else was doing. And so I decided a few weeks ago to uh, share those listing descriptions in the voice of different comedians. Yeah. And so I put a little disclaimer at the end that this is purely satire, it's fun, and all of these homes are lovely and beautiful, and I'm just joking around, but uh, I'm curious your thoughts on, on the presentation of those. <laughs> Well, I think the first one, which is two weeks ago, I think, was the Gilbert Gottfried one. And yes. that made me nervous just because his style <laughs> of comedy is inherently a little bit offensive. Yeah. I think rat holes was said in there somewhere. Yeah. So that one seemed rather intense. However, Jim Gaffigan and Wanda Sykes, the ones from these past two weeks, I would agree are a little bit more um, funny and less room for potential people being offended. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love it. And what I love the most is you don't realize even in text how specific all of their styles are. But then when you start reading it, you can hear the voice of that comedian in your head. And it does feel very authentic mm -hmm. to 
what they would say, which I probably shouldn't tell you because you always have this thought that you should be a comedy writer and this yes. is only going to reinforce it. Yeah. So if I could pick any job to do right now, I love business and entrepreneurship and I'd, I'd want to continue that in some fashion. But being a comedy writer is my dream. And <laughs> I don't think that I'm the person on stage telling the jokes. I don't think that I'm the person on the sitcom acting them out, but I think I could kill it writing those jokes <laughs> um, that people have. And, and unfortunately, Rachel has to suffer through my bad impressions and jokes on a regular basis. Uh, depending on what day of the week it is, I may wake up uh, and, and start performing Rodney Dangerfield or it's always Rodney Tracy Dangerfield. Morgan. No, there's, there's others, too. It's there's 90% several. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney, Rodney's a legend, and, and you cannot beat some of those one-liners that he has. And it's it's a funny way, and... Mm -hmm. and uh, a joking way to kind of poke fun at each other too in his in his style. It is, yes, and I will have to give a kudos to your best friend Justin who let you uh, exercise your comedy writing skills in your best man speech way back in 2015 for his wedding. Yes. That was your big debut. Yeah, so uh, if, if Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock are listening to I'm this sure right now, are. I'm <laughs> sure they are, um, and you need another writer, just give me a shout. I promise that I will not disappoint. And you you don't have to pay me anything. I'll just do it. This is probably how they source most of their writers. This, this is it. I know. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of interesting things, one of the things that we didn't talk about, and I did think it was super interesting, was these high-tech electric skates. Yeah. What is your take on that? Yeah, so I guess the original version of these came out a couple years ago, and I, I it just kind of flew under the radar for me. I didn't know they existed, but um, I saw videos of the newest version that are about to release, and they were incredible. Somebody was walking through, I think, like a trade show or something mm -hmm. in Vegas, and they were just basically gliding at seven or eight miles an hour uh, through the trade show. And uh, it was it seemed very natural and smooth and easy. Mm. I mean, the, they look ridiculous. You put them on top of your shoes and it yeah. looks like uh, kind of like a ridiculous version of the wheelies that our, our, our kids <laughs> like. Um, but in practical terms, they seemed really cool. And if I can see if you're like, as you know, when we go to a city, we walk hundreds of miles sometimes yeah. because we just love walking and exploring. But specifically, if you were in Vegas where like every hotel is connected to the next right. hotel and they're all seemingly miles long, mm -hmm. that would be a pretty cool way to get around. Yeah, that's I could see it for inside. And I didn't look close in to see the size of the wheels, but it just makes me think about... The, the scooters, when those first came out, some of them, the wheels were too small, mm -hmm. like similar to a Razor scooter yeah. size. And then it got really dangerous if there was a crack in the pavement or a mm -hmm. pothole. And so all I'm picturing is just like going down the sidewalk and flipping over on your face on the way to work or something. But yeah. inside, I could see how it would make sense. Outside, I don't know, I'd be curious to see how it would tackle a crack in the pavement or something. Yeah, and I think, I think based on my research, they're really designed for people that are working in giant warehouses. That makes sense. Uh, like an Amazon warehouse or something so they can get from place to place really quickly. Um, but it would be cool if you could wear them in your everyday use. And they were socially acceptable. Uh, and, <laughs> love and not, to see and not embarrassing. coming down Route 13 in a pair of roller skates. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so jumping into the most recent vibe, I... Uh, I spent some time doing some research, and I can't even remember what what kind of got me first interested in this, but uh, on the topic of fear. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was a podcast or a book or something that I was reading recently, but it, it talked about fear in a couple of different ways. It, it talked about fear uh, living in the past, mm -hmm. um, fear in the future, and then fear in the present, and how each of them are 
very unique in our perceptions of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the article I kind of talked about in the past, fear kind of uh, manifesting as as rumination Mm -hmm. and and things that already happened or regret or wishing that things could be differently and and that Mm -hmm. creating that anxiety and that fear in Mm -hmm. you. Um, and then the future, it's largely, I think, based on expectation, mm-hmm. expectation that something's not going to go the way that you want it to go right. or or the worst case scenario is going to happen, um, a fear of losing something or someone. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was a really interesting um, kind of exploration on that as I dove into it to kind of see that, because I think all human beings obviously are programmed naturally to have fear built in, mm-hmm. uh, to escape predators and to make sure that we're, we're safe in dangerous situations. But in, in the modern world, it, it kind of, it kind of occupies our minds unnecessarily in a lot of ways that, that are detrimental. And, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was interesting because when I think about past like regrets or rumination, fear isn't the first word that comes to mind. I can think about that as anxiety. Um, but really at the root of it, anxiety is just fear. And so I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Um, and I agree with you. I've always been fascinated about how we talk about that the human brain, while very complex and advanced, is also evolutionary, very old still. And we don't really have the capacity in our nervous systems to differentiate between like a survival level fear and just a, an anxiety about getting somewhere on time or a relationship anxiety or something like that. It all hits the same level of like anxiety and fear in us, which I think is really fascinating. Um, but some of the stuff you said in here, I completely agree with when you have a children, I think that really changes your relationship to fear because you have so much fear around a different person than yourself. And you feel such a biological instinct to protect someone that's so helpless and vulnerable. And it, it really does prey on your fear instincts all the time. I think a lot of moms out there can relate to just hyper analyzing every little thing that you do as a parent and worrying about how that's going to affect the emotional development of your kids or their confidence or their health or, you know, beating yourself up over every little mistake that you make out of a sense of fear of what's going to happen to them. And so I thought you really nailed that on the head because it's something that I feel every day. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's easy to, to put yourself in that space if you allow yourself to Mm -hmm. be in it. I I know one of the times that I was most fearful as a parent was when, when Ford had to have that brain surgery as, you know, I don't know, was he three or four months months old old, at that point? And it's just, it's terrifying seeing this little tiny baby that, Mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've worried about for 10 months of pregnancy Mm -hmm. and and then, you know, the first three months of their lives having to go through something where there's tubes and wires Mm -hmm. and everything hanging out of him and, and, and literally operating on his skull. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's terrifying. And I know uh, you and I were just sitting there for hours, just very nervous and very fearful. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, if, if we can't, control the outcome, then, then we're missing an opportunity to appreciate the moments that we're in. And, uh, I think Tim Ferriss talks about this quite a bit, uh, in, in his books as well, but there's, there's really no reason to fear the future because we don't, we don't know if the future worst case scenario is going to happen. And most likely it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I think there's been research that like 80% of the time, what you think is, is the worst case scenario is going to happen does not happen. And so we spend so much time worrying about something that's very unlikely to happen. And I think if we can at least be conscious of that and think about that and understand how our, our, our brain works in those moments, it can maybe help us reprogram it a little bit. I completely agree. Is it Mark Twain that said something like 90% of the worst things that ever happened in my life never happened at all? Or mm-hmm. there's something like that, basically, that 
exactly what you just said. Um, That reminds me a lot of something that I've gotten really obsessed with recently, which is learning about your nervous system. Um, And the best person that I've learned in this realm is a woman named Deb Dana. And she does a lot of podcasts and stuff. If anyone's interested, her podcast on the Dan Harris show, 10% Happier, is just phenomenal. But it is really interesting how your nervous system is always kind of surveying your environment for signs of danger. And sometimes it's so subconscious that you don't even realize what it is that triggered a feeling of anxiety or fear in yourself, but you react to it. And learning how to recognize when your nervous system is triggered can really help you to be more emotionally regulated throughout the course of your day. Because to me, the worst part about fear and anxiety is it just robs you from being present in the moment that you're in. It robs you from being joyful with the people around you to connecting with the people that you care about because your mind is in a different place, living out some catastrophized potential future scenario. And so it is really worth the time and effort to like overcome that sense of fear and sense of anxiety because it changes the whole quality of your life. It does. And in some ways it's kind of, uh, in some ways it's kind of similar to alcohol. You know, Mm -hmm. they talk about how alcohol robs the joy of tomorrow Mm -hmm. for some temporary joy today. And, you know, I think we could, we could certainly compare that to fear as well. And, um, I think just the more we understand that and can recognize it within ourselves when those anxieties and those things creep in, um, the better we can, like you said, regulate it and really enjoy the moments that we're in and not be so concerned about what likely is to never happen in the future. <laughs> no, it's very true. We can't also skip over National Corn Chip Day. Yes. I mean. National Corn Chip Day. What a holiday. Is is a great holiday because uh, <laughs> I enjoy corn chips, tortilla chips, Doritos, you, uh, we always argue and debate with our, our friends about this. You like a very specific Dorito that is, oh. <laughs> I find, and, and your, your best friend Liz finds to be very uh, stinky. I really uh, hope that Liz is listening to this right now. And they have, a, they, the, the smell fills up an entire room. Um, and while I will agree, on occasion, they're pretty good. But there's two things I hate about them. One is the overpowering smell. And, and two... I don't like things that when I pick them up, my hands are covered in mess that I have to then wash off. Healthy, processed, it just it drives me seasoning. yes, and insane. And so I try to steer away from foods that do that. But, well, but you're cooler obsessed. ranch Doritos are worth it. Yeah, they and are spe- delicious. Speaking of alcohol, that that pairs for you very well with, I with don't alcohol. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so it's a good uh, drunk food for those that, uh, that 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 like Doritos and alcohol. Does not sound like me. <laughs> Um, All right, diving into the more recent weekly vibes that I had. Uh, I know you and I both are enjoying the new season of True Detective. Yes. We have liked all of the seasons, and this is kind of one of my pet peeves about this show. Everyone says that, like, (laughs) they love season one, and none of the other seasons are the same, or season three was good, but not season two, and this and that, and... I think if we're being honest with ourselves, the show as a whole is better than pretty much everything else on TV, you know, with a couple exceptions based on your preferences. Mm -hmm. But I thought every season has been fantastic. And I thought season two, which seems to get the most hate with uh, Vince Vaughn and Mm -hmm. and Rachel McAdams, was phenomenal as well. And Jodie Foster is a uh, is in command of the screen on on the season as well. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts so far on this kind of different twist on things? So. I do agree that they're all great, but I do have, like, 
an order of which ones I like the best. And season one, I thought, was like a 10 out of 10 amazing show. And to me, this is the closest one to that of the seasons that they've had so far. I love it. I just think it's fascinating. Even just the setting changes it so much with how cold it is and everything is icy. And Mm -hmm. not to give anything away, because this is in the first episode, when they find bodies that are frozen, there's just a whole, this is kind of gory, but Mm -hmm. there's just a whole different process that they have to go through. And then they talk about the cultural aspects of the Inuit people that live up there. And so it really does. It brings a completely different feel to it. It has a little bit, like you said, like a almost like a supernatural bend to it that's different. Um, so I've been loving it. it. In a way, it kind of reminds me of how we were saying the um, haunting in Venice. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a murder mystery with an air of supernatural thriller kind of in it. So yeah. I've been loving it. And Jodie Foster is incredible. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best things about the series as a whole is like I'm, I'm obsessed with really good acting. I cannot watch a show no matter how good the story is if the acting is horrible. You've literally turned them off. I, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, 10 minutes in, you can just tell. Like mm-hmm. they're just not good at their craft and I just can't, I just can't get into it. And so uh, I think this one is, uh, uh, the, the entire series is produced by Woody Harrelson and, and Matthew McConaughey. I didn't and know that. so uh, obviously they were the stars of the, the first season, but they do a phenomenal job of getting really, really great actors in each of the subsequent mm-hmm. seasons too. And I think that that's a big piece of it because it this same story could be told through a million different lenses and, and a different director and different actors and it it just wouldn't be the same yeah no you're right but it's been exciting and it's one of those ones where they painfully release one episode at a time so it's so hard not to be able to jump on to the next right um well i uh as i'm doing right now i'm fidgeting with things (laughs) and as you know when we met my fingernails were (laughs) probably kind of gross to you because i would chew on them constantly Mm -hmm. and my mom can attest to trying to they used to make something that would taste horrible to put on your mm-hmm. fingers and you to try all of those it. things and I would power through it. It didn't matter. I would just mm-hmm. constantly chew on my nails. It was probably some level of ADD or ADHD that maybe led to that. But anyway, I am also <laughs> a germaphobe, right. as you know, and wash my hands probably two dozen times a day, um, shower multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. I'm just, it's, it's, a, a bit of a problem probably mm-hmm. but I also don't Better get sick yeah I don't yeah. get sick as, as much as most people too I think mm-hmm. in part because of that um, and so since I since COVID it, it forced me to stop biting my nails because I was terrified of getting sick all the time mm-hmm. and so I have tried to find a replacement for that. Yeah. And so far, the best one is the Christmas gift that you gave me, which is this like rolling fidget. That's mm-hmm. just, there's something soothing and relaxing and fun playing around with it. Yeah. That actually came from um, right before Christmas, Peter Diamandis sent out an email that was like the 100 best gifts that he would appreciate or something. And some of them were what is it like the chill pad eight sleep that it was like ten thousand dollars was like well i'm not gonna surprise you with that um but one was that sleep mask the manta sleep mask Mm -hmm. which i thought was a really good one because sometimes you like to sleep with a sleep mask on but the other was that fidget tool and what's nice about it is it it's almost like a little treadmill like you just kind of keep playing with it and it just and it has like a nice weight to it and for some reason having something in your hand that has some weight i think also helps um and Further, I was really tired of you using my pens because I have a favorite kind of pen as your fidget and just slowly breaking off the clips of all of my favorite pens. So mm-hmm. I needed to find something to stop sacrificing so many of my pens as well. But I'm glad you yeah. like it. And Avery's tried to steal it a few times, too. I do like it. And I uh, 
if you really enjoy a pen, this is this goes to everyone out there. Don't let me borrow it because I promise that the little clip will be broken off unintentionally, and likely the the bottom part will go missing somewhere, and you'll be left with a a stick of ink essentially. Yes, he will just uh, fidget with it and take it apart and put it back together while he talks. So, yes. Um, but so yes. that that usually is how pens end. But hopefully, <laughs> this new fidget can keep me occupied, so I'm not destroying as many pens. Well, and it itself is also really sturdy too, which is nice. Because a lot of times the cheaper little fidgets, they'll break themselves. So, um, And speaking of fidgets and Avery, um, one of the things that I thought was really fun in this one is you talking about Avery's very elaborate dance routines. Mm -hmm. Because that has been quite a phase in our house. Speaking again about my friend Liz, her daughter Harley is in ballet. And ever since we went to see the Nutcracker Ballet, Avery has decided that she's going to plan these elaborate choreographed ballets and rope forward into these minor parts (laughs) where he just basically runs in screaming. But I really liked the mid-journey. Um, photo that you did of the little girl doing ballet. That was really cute. Yeah, I thought that was a cool piece of art, and it is our nightly entertainment. (laughs) Avery uh, makes us all sit down and and pay very close attention Mm -hmm. to her uh, five-minute rendition of the Nutcracker or some other kind of video that she's seen on Mm -hmm. YouTube Kids or something that uh, she wants to show us. And so it's a a very elaborate production on a nightly basis, and Uh, I'm sure at some point we will revisit getting her back into dance, uh, but she has... You heard it here, Avery. Yeah, she has a wide array of interest in Mm -hmm. sports and activities and everything else, and so it is tough to manage them all. It is tough to fit everything in the calendar. Sometimes I'm surprised she's not a Leo, though, that that girl loves the spotlight. She does. Um, Well, lastly, I just wanted to talk a little bit about this incredible new invention Mm. from an engineer at Disney... Uh, because I'm super excited to be able to use this at some point in the future because mm-hmm. I think it is going to change so many things. Um, and it is this new hollow tile technology that they've created. And I shared a video uh, in the Vibe if you want to check that out. But basically, um, to kind of summarize what it can do, I think, at a surface level, and I'm sure it can do way more in the future, is... People that like playing VR video games, for example, I don't know, Call of Duty or... I'm not really into VR video games, Mm -hmm. but I can imagine them being fun. Um, The problem is, is you can't, like, run around the room. Mm -hmm. Um, There are places that you can go to, I think, that kind of strap you in and make sure that you're not running into walls and breaking TVs and things. But (laughs) it's not a simple task to kind of run around and, and be active in the game. But what this new floor does is it allows you to basically walk or run forever without going off of the tile mat. Mm -hmm. And so imagine if you're in these like massive world games and you could explore, explore an entire world walking around, uh, and, and actually be active in the game and just feel so much more realistic with new graphics and the 3d renderings and things that they have today. I can imagine that being super fun and, and I would, I would love to try it if, if we can gain access to that at some point. I think it's amazing, too. And it's funny, I was actually talking about that in the office the other day. And one of our uh, teammates, who I won't name, said he accidentally punched a hole in the wall playing Call of Duty one time for that exact reason. He didn't know where in the room that he was. So super smart for that. And the video, when you see him, I mean, he sits on a chair and it moves him around as if he was on a roller coaster, Mm -hmm. I think, was being simulated there. But it is. It's really amazing. Um, And the cool thing, too, is it's not ugly either. If you wanted to put it in your house, you could work it into your design and make it you know, just an organic part of your house, but it is fascinating. And the other thing that it makes me think about is at some point, these games are going to be so realistic that I almost wonder if 
and this might just be me because I'm sensitive, but people are going to be traumatized by, I mean, if you feel like you're walking through a world that is completely realistic and you're getting shot at, we did that one virtual reality thing at one of those gaming places and it was shooting at zombies and I couldn't handle that. <laughs> I'm sure it's well, going to, I'm not, you don't have a high not that I'm the toughest like Navy yeah. SEAL personality type, but I was thinking like it gets to a point where it's almost indistinguishable from reality mm -hmm. and going back to like the fear centers in your brain, all of those things are triggered just like it's really happening to you. Yeah. A trend I just saw recently is that haptics are going to keep improving and getting better and better. And so in that game, when the zombie was eating you, it like vibrated or something. But imagine if it gets to a point where without the pain, you can kind of feel I don't, it. Yeah. Feel it or like you. feel a bullet or I, yeah. I don't know. It's just it's exciting. And then it's also to me terrifying. It is. It's crazy. And uh, one of the things I'm most excited about it is like the exercise component to it. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine if you're playing like a first person shooter game or something and 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 that is designed specifically for you to get exercise and yeah. you can run around this world and and do all kinds of different movements and things and all of a sudden you look up and it's been an hour and you've been running you know mm -hmm. and it's for people that that hate running or or get bored with certain activities i mean this would totally change that and i think make exercise much more accessible for people that just don't have interest in it that gets me excited. That would excite me because I love, like, you know, to run on the trails on the weekends. And sometimes, like last weekend, I probably could have been tough enough to do it, but it was snowy out. And I just didn't yeah. think I had it in me. But that would be really cool to feel like you were outside or like you like being in a city mm -hmm. that you're running through New York City instead of, you know, a track or a treadmill. So yeah, yeah. I I'm, like that idea. I'm pumped for it. Well, we've covered a wide array of topics today. Um, hopefully you found some level of entertainment or value, or at least it wasn't too annoying, <laughs> too, painful. <laughs> too painful for you. Um, but is there anything else that you want to share before we sign off? I did have one thing, just in case people come across the vibe by podcast form, I thought we probably should mention that if you're interested in diving deeper in any of these topics, the website is thevibeweekly.com. You can subscribe to the email newsletter that way. Um, you can also connect to our social media pages and you can go back and look at all the blogs that have links to the videos that we talk about where you can actually purchase some things on Amazon. So thevibeweekly.com is probably a good resource that we should be mentioning. Yeah. And and if, um, if Dave Chappelle, I know you're out there listening, <laughs> I, I will work for free. So just give me a shot. Just give me a shot. You won't be disappointed, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And we look forward to sharing some more insights with you next time. If you're interested in the topics that you're hearing about on The Vibe, please check out our website. It's thevibeweekly.com. There you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can check out all the blogs with all of the recommendations that Dustin makes, links to purchase things, full videos, links to articles. It's a great resource to go even a little bit deeper on some of the topics that we talk about on the podcast.